0: Part Three, Chapter Three of The Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy by Frank W. Borum. His Worship the Mayor for many a long year thomas dalish was mayor of Moskiel and reigned without a rival at election after election the little old gentleman was returned unopposed indeed it came to be regarded as the natural thing nobody quite knew why i have a notion that it was just because thomas was old the other members of the borough council were aggressive young townsmen the warmth of whose ardour incubated all kinds of municipal policies and the restlessness of whose brains littered the council table with an infinite variety of schemes the result was inevitable as soon as councillor macdonald stated his policy the council fell into two parts as though it had been cleft by a sword half the councillors said hear hear and half shook their heads sagaciously and muttered to each other that it would never do and when a few weeks later councillor campbell outlined his scheme the council was once more rent in twain half the councillors supported half opposed the same fate befell each of the other councillors in turn There was only one member of the council who never concocted a fresh policy or formulated a new scheme. That was Hamas Dalkish. His abstinence in that respect gave him an immense advantage when the mayoral election came round. Councillor MacDonald would have made an excellent mayor, and his claims upon the honor were considerable. But then he had a scheme his elevation to the mayoral chair would place him in a position of commanding influence it would invest him with a casting vote and other dangerous prerogatives and it would probably lead to the adoption of his scheme the hostile councillors said once more that this would never do and so it came to pass that none of the councillors save tamas dalish could command a majority of votes when the elections came round year by year therefore as regularly as the second saturday in november returned it was announced from the veranda of the council chambers that only one nomination had been received and that councillor dalish had been declared elected for a further term the little old gentleman beamed expressed his sense of the honor that had been done him and promised that he would endeavor to prove himself worthy of the confidence of the citizens which meant being interpreted that he promised to sink peacefully into the chair for another year never daring to think out a policy himself or even to say yea or nay to any of the troublesome schemes that the younger and noisier counsellors might present it all passed off very pleasantly There was speaking and cheering and drinking of healths. Everybody seemed perfectly satisfied with the turn things had taken, and certainly Tamas Dalish was. He was an amiable little old man, not destitute of frailties. One of these was his excessive modesty. He was terribly afraid that we should forget either that he was a Scotsman or that he was mayor of Mosgiel he had every reason to be proud of both these circumstances and as a matter of fact there was not the slightest danger of our forgetting either but he was obviously nervous about it in the course of my twelve years at mosgiel i came to know him pretty well although only on two occasions did i have direct dealings with him of those two events i propose to tell the story now And if into the first narrative there steals a suspicion of comedy, it will be seen that the second story is sufficiently dramatic to atone for that defect in its predecessor. But to my tale, it was in the days of the South African War. When it was announced that Lord Kitchener was conferring with the Boer leaders at Pretoria, everybody felt that peace was not far off this conviction fastened upon the mind of old tamas dalish and he decided to call a meeting of citizens to arrange for a worthy celebration of the glad event when it should come he was good enough to call at the manse and ask me to be present i very cheerfully consented at the meeting over which he presided a programme was drawn up a committee was appointed to carry it into effect and at his worship's suggestion i was appointed convener we soon got things into shape and only awaited the declaration of peace to have everything moving at last the welcome signal was given the screaming of sirens the ringing of bells and the booming of guns apprised all and sundry that the war in south africa had passed into history i hurried down to the council chambers found his worship there before me and we soon got to work the morning was occupied with the distribution of medals to all the children of the town the main event of the day was timed for two o'clock all the townspeople were asked to assemble at the junction of the main streets led by the local band they were to sing first the doxology and then the national anthem and after that the procession was the start at two o'clock however rain was threatening the outlook for the procession and the subsequent events was very gloomy when i entered the council chamber a few minutes before the hour i found his worship in a state of extreme tension he was tortured by visions of trees being planted and foundation stones laid under torrential skies Come on, he said impatiently as I saluted him, let us get the procession away at once. What's to be done? Very little, your worship, I replied, handing him a fresh copy of the program. You have simply to ask the people to join in singing to the music of the band, first the doxology and then the national anthem. I saw at once that he was displeased he was for waving his hand and ordering the procession to start i held out for the program the whole program and nothing but the program well he exclaimed at last in a more conciliatory tone let us split the difference let us drop the doxology and sing the national anthem i pointed out that the doxology was singularly appropriate to the occasion that it was specially decreed at the meeting of citizens that it was on the printed program and that its omission would seriously wound the sentiments of many of the citizens his worship lost all patience i saw ten minutes later that he imagined the doxology to be some ponderous kind of oratorio that might detain a procession for a good part of the afternoon but i did not grasp his point of view until Looking daggers at me, he sprang up, rushed bareheaded onto the veranda, raised his hand to secure silence, called at the top of his voice, "The band will lead the people in singing the doxology, and then added with terrific emphasis, "One verse only in the years that followed. It was quite a common occurrence when things were getting lively in the council chamber for one of the counsellors to suggest that they should sing together the second verse of the doxology and his worship always smiled good-humoredly it happened a year or two later that dr harry granton guinness came to dunedin and conducted a series of special meetings in the largest theatre there i was unable to go into town to any of the earlier meetings but I saw that the series was to conclude with a couple of illustrated lectures, one on South America and the other on the Congo. I promised myself at least one of these, and on the night of the South American lecture, I set off for the city. The lecture and the pictures far exceeded my anticipations. I was delighted and resolved to return next evening. On my way to the station the following evening, whom should i meet but his worship the mayor to this hour i cannot tell why i suggested such a thing but before i knew what i was saying i was inviting him to accompany me he was the last man on earth whom you would think of inviting to a missionary lecture you ought to come sir i was saying i went last night and did not mean to go again but the lecture was simply splendid and the pictures were magnificent I am sure you would enjoy it before i realized what had happened he had accepted my invitation and we were walking side by side on our way to the station i spent most of the time in the train wondering by what strange impulse i had asked his worship to accompany me that riddle was still unread when we reached the theatre it was filling fast surveying the crowd we noticed a couple of vacant seats about halfway up the area and slipped into them. As on the previous evening, the lecture was most interesting, and the pictures were among the best of the kind that I have ever seen. For all practical purposes, we had left New Zealand miles behind and were in the wilds of Central Africa. An occasional side glance at my companion told me that he was as interested as I was then suddenly a change came over the spirit of our dream i propose now to show you said the lecturer the photographs of some of the men who have laid down their lives upon the congo i was afraid that this purely missionary aspect of african life would possess less interest for his worship and i was prepared for yawns and other indications of boredom the colored pictures of african scenery gave place to the portrait of a fine young fellow in the prime of early manhood to my inexpressible astonishment his worship almost sprang from his seat grasped the back of the chair in front of him and stared at the screen with strained and terrible intensity it's my boy he cried loudly enough to be heard some distance away it's my boy it's my boy I naturally supposed that he had been affected by some curious similarity of appearance. Fortunately, his agitation had not been noticed from the platform, and the lecturer went on. This, he said, is a young fellow named Dog who came to us as an engineer to superintend the construction of our mission steamer. It's my boy, cried my companion, overcome now by uncontrollable emotion. It's my boy, my poor boy. Neither of us had eyes or ears for anything that followed. His worship sat beside me, his face buried in his hands, swaying from side to side in silent agony. Every now and again he would start up, and I had the greatest difficulty in restraining him from rushing to the platform to ask more about his dead son. Sitting there beside him, it came back to me that he had once told me of a boy who ran away from home and went to london we were too angry at the time to answer his letters he had said and so after a while he gave up writing and we lost all trace of him when the great crowd melted away that night i took his worship to the lecturer's room and introduced them to each other the identity of the fallen missionary was established beyond all doubt and dr granton guinness arranged to come out to moskiel and spend the next day with the mayor and his wife he did i was not present and i do not know what took place but i often fancied from little indications that i noticed afterwards that the things that were said and the tears that were shed in the course of that visit were a means of grace to my friend his worship the mayor and of part three, chapter three.